0: Hello, and welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. My name is Tara Catherine, and I'm the assistant of Janelle Wood, the host of this podcast. Today, we are replaying our episode from June 14th with Abdu Murray and guest co-hosts Zoe and Leonie. Abdu shares his faith journey, including his experience going from a Muslim upbringing to becoming a Christian. The group discusses how and why we exist, how we can choose a religion without fully exploring all of them, and more. If you have found this podcast to be helpful, we would love for you to consider supporting Finding Something Real. You can find a link to
1: our Patreon in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi friend, this podcast is sponsored in part by Faithful Counseling. Life is full of ups and downs, unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes we struggle with all that can come our way. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is also a practicing Christian. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And as someone with a master's degree in counseling psychology and whom at various times in the past 20 or so years has benefited from seeing a professional therapist, I know the value that professional counseling can bring because we all need someone to talk with and Faithful Counseling can help. Please visit faithfulcounseling.com. Slash FindingSomethingReal.com to sign up for professional faith-based counseling. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. There's also a special offer for Finding Something Real listeners to get 10% off your first month at FaithfulCounseling.com/slash/finding-something-real. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for being a sponsor of this episode. Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever, but don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and I'm excited that you are listening in for season five where we've been starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, our first episode introduced my German exchange, quote-unquote, niece, Tati. Tati shared about growing up in Germany how strange it was to come to the U.S. and meet people who actually prayed and devoted their lives to Jesus. And she also talked about being content with her atheism and disbelief in the idea that there is a God. I absolutely loved uh, Tati's uh, conversation and her honesty and direct communication style. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Tati and hear her story. We'll put a link in the show notes and you will also want to check out last week's episode with Gernot. Am I pronouncing that right? Gernot? Uh, Leone?
2: Gernot? Um, I think it was Gernot. Gernot.
1: Gernot, A Christian apologist and speaker from Austria. We had a wonderful conversation uh, where some of Tati's objections were addressed, but also uh, I gave you a little preview as Leone Our exchange daughter uh, stood in, so to speak, for Tati and asked some great questions herself. So please listen to that episode. um, If you get a chance, friend, you can find those episodes on your favorite podcast app or go directly to findingsomethingreal.com where you'll find other things like free resources and occasional blog posts very occasional, I'm afraid, and how you can financially help this, uh, support this program. Um, thank you, especially to our Patreon supporters, um, and shout out to new supporters, Jay and Lindsay. Again, all of that can be found over there at findingsomethingreal.com. If you like this podcast, I would love to hear from you. Tati will not be joining us today, and I respect that she's in a place in her life right now where she has more objections and questions about faith. But she brought up some solid topics for us to discuss. And as I mentioned in our previous episodes this month, friend, you never know. So Tati, if you're someday listening to this, this episode, I hope is a love letter to you. But because Tati isn't here, I'm taking advantage of uh, the relationships that I have. (laughs) I had the opportunity to introduce you not uh, to just one, but two uh, lovely young women whom I, uh, you'll hopefully be hearing more from later this year. I'm joined again today by my 18-year-old exchange daughter, Leone. And like Tati, Leone grew up in Germany and experienced the novelty of coming to the U.S., where she's been confronted with a version of Christianity she had never seen before. I think that's is that accurate, Leonie? That's pretty. Yep. 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 Uh, she was here last week, and she's back for more. And joining her today uh, is another young woman whom I love. I would say that she's my 18-year-old French exchange, quote-unquote, niece, Zoe. Zoe is from France and has a similar story and background. Again, one that if you keep listening to this program, you'll hear more about in the coming months. But Zoe and Leonie. Thank you for being here to represent a different worldview. For the sake of context, exactly what time is it where you are right now? 6 (laughs) (laughs) a.m. So what exactly made you say yes to being here at 6 a.m. to discuss
2: uh, something you're just not sure about? Um, I think... Because I love you <laughs> and, and because I think that the questions that we are talking about today also concern me and my background. So,
1: yeah. How about you, Zoe? I love having discussion
0: with other people and discovering new point of view about things. And I think it can be really interesting
1: to be here today. Aww. Well, I just love you both so much and I'm grateful for both of you. Um, I'm excited for each of you to be able to share your individual faith journeys more in the coming months. But in the meantime, um, I wrote this down, but I really mean it. Uh, it's such a privilege and a gift to have you both here today. And it means a lot that you would get up at 6 a.m. on a school day uh, to be here. Uh, so thank you. And today's guest, uh, I think you both are going to love him. He's a well-known speaker and author in the field of Christian apolog- apologetics, his ministry, Embrace the Truth, operates with the mission of offering credibility of the gospel to every questioner they encounter. They believe that truth, when embraced, brings freedom. They will hear, respect, and answer each person in ways that touch both the mind and the heart. For most of his life, uh, our guest was a proud Muslim who studied the Quran and Islam. After a nine year investigation into the historical, philosophical, and scientific underpinnings of the major world religions and views, Abdu discovered that the historic Christian faith can answer the questions of the mind and the longings of the heart. He has spoken to diverse international audiences and has participated in debates and dialogues across the globe. He holds a BA in psychology from the University of Michigan and earned his Juris Doctor from the University of Michigan Law School. As an attorney, he was named several times in Best Lawyers in America and Michigan Super Lawyer. I'm very grateful to welcome Abdu Murray to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, Abdu.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Janelle, and uh, Leonie and Zoe, thank you so much for the time, uh, for getting up early to uh, hopefully not listen to uh, some stranger you've never met drone on, Uh, (laughs) but it is uh, a distinct pleasure and an honor, and I'm I'm very honored that um, you gave me any of your time at all. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for being here. Um, I reached out to you, Abdu, over Instagram with a podcast invitation, and your response was enthusiastic and very kind. Um, You have, as I mentioned, traveled the globe sharing your story and answering hard faith questions. So I was just wondering, what gets you so excited even now about these kinds of conversations and what brought you here today?
3: Wow, great question. Um, uh, I get excited about these kind of conversations because um, I really do believe in our mission statement that truth when embraced brings, brings, brings freedom. And um, as I see people who are asking, as I did myself, asking very serious questions, whether they're challenging the traditions they've, they've grown up in, as I did, um, or uh, exploring a new area of, uh, of knowledge, of fulfillment, of meaning, um, something lights up in people. And you can see it. Um, the journey isn't always easy. The journey is, in fact, usually bumpy. Um, but uh, we're in this together. You know, in Arabic, we have a, uh, a phrase. It's uh, which means we're all in the same wind. Uh, it's sort of roughly equivalent to the English version of we're all in the same boat. But Arabs, uh, we have a little more uh, flavor to our idioms. And what it really means is we're all in the same stink. We all smell the same <laughs> bad air, so to speak. And we're trying to we're trying to get to the clean air. Uh, All of us are. And so um, as we are pilgrims along the journey, I think, of life, um, we are in the boat together. Um, Whether we are people of faith or people of questioning faith or people of no faith um, in uh, something supernatural, I think we all have some measure of faith, whether it's faith in other people or it's faith in God or whatever it might be. So we're on the faith journey together. And I find nothing more fulfilling than seeing people uh, gain strength. Um, and gain a sense of meaning, purpose and fulfillment when truth, not just feelings, but when truth is infused with feelings. So it's not just how do I feel, but it's what do I know? And how does what do I know sustain what I feel? Because we don't always feel super faithful. We don't always feel super purposeful. We don't always feel uh, like we have meaning or value in life, but we can know in those dry seasons that we do have those things if there's a truth a transcendent truth that underlies it all and so i've seen lives transformed i've been privileged to watch the lord move in people's lives in miraculous ways and i can't get enough of that
1: great answer
3: <laughs> uh,
1: Tati, um who couldn't be here or, or chose not to be both right because Leonie aren't uh, in germany right now seniors are doing like very intense exams is that right mm-hmm. yeah. so Tati may have been here. I don't know. If you listen to the first episode, uh, you'll know that she's pretty resistant to um, Christianity right now, but she might have come anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. But she said in our initial conversation, and I quote, your children will probably always believe, uh, talking to me. Um, And she said, and I wasn't raised like that. And I will probably not believe, just like everyone else, meaning Germany, doesn't believe here. Abdu, could you speak to that as someone who wasn't raised Christian Why did you investigate it? Would you share some of your faith journey with us?
3: Yeah, wow, what a great uh, way to introduce that because uh, Tati's um, uh, objection within a question or within a statement is so pertinent and so relevant. Um, So I came, uh, I was raised in the United States, um, but I uh, come from a Muslim background and I thought it was true. And I thought it was uniquely true. I thought it was especially true. Um, and I was a minority um, in growing up in America. Uh, Muslims are still remain uh, a minority in the uh, in, in the religious scene, but also in the ethnic scene. I was I'm an Arab, so I was uh, ethnically um, a minority as well. But I really felt that matters of religion and matters of faith were of ultimate importance. And so, because Christians. And back when I was growing up, I'm a child of the I was born in the 70s, but I'm a child of the 80s. So back in the 80s and even in the 90s, it was still fashionable to say you were a Christian, even if you didn't really mean it. Um what you meant was I'm a Christian, meaning I believe in God, but I don't really, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu. Maybe you believe in God, maybe you don't, but Christian by tradition. So I'd ask people their, their question, why are you a Christian? Um, and oftentimes, because I wanted them to become Muslims. And oftentimes they would answer with tradition, much like Tati even said about her atheism. Um, She'd say, well, I was raised that way. Or, Or a person I would ask would say, I was raised that way. And I said, what do you mean? Why are you a Presbyterian or why are you a Lutheran or whatever it might be? And they would say, well, we go to the Presbyterian church on Christmas and Easter. So I guess I'm a Presbyterian. In other words, tradition. Tradition was the main reason they believed something. And I would fire back and I'd say, are you telling me that you trust your eternal destiny to a worldview that someone else thought through, but you haven't, you haven't thought through this at all. My goodness. Why would you, have you done that with your schooling? Have you done that with your job? Have you done that with your retirement plan? You think everything through, but this, for some reason, you don't think through, why would you do that? And, um, Secretly, of course, I had thought it through for them, so I had my objections, and I had jumped in, and I said, here's the five reasons why you're wrong to be a Christian and why you should be a Muslim, and most Christians had no response to what I was saying, but there were some who actually did have a response, and um, as I was engaging with them, the conversations were respectful, mostly, um, and sometimes I wasn't always the most respectful person in the whole world because I'm a human being, and I'm given to that kind of thing, but um, uh, but um, they were loving conversations, and they challenged me uh, to eventually uh, uh, read through the Bible, not just to find holes in it, but to see what's in it. But I still have my attitude about the Bible. I didn't want to believe what it had to say. I thought it was a changed book, a book that's been translated and retranslated and lost its original meaning and all that. But then I come across a passage in Luke chapter three, verse seven, and John the Baptist is talking to people who were coming to him to be baptized. And he says, who told you to flee From the wrath to come, meaning God's judgment for their sinful behavior. And then he says something remarkable to them. He says, Do not even think to yourself that you have Abraham as your father. He's talking to Jews and he's saying, Don't even think to yourself that just because Abraham is your father, you're going to go to heaven. He says, Because I tell you, God can raise up children of Abraham from the stones. In other words, your tradition is not important if it's not based on truth. So That cut me to the heart because I had been asking Christians, why are you a Christian? They would say tradition. And I would say, that's not good enough. And John the Baptist, as I'm reading the Bible, was asking me, why are you a Muslim? And I had to say tradition. And he'd say, not good enough. And so that got me thinking, maybe I should challenge the assumptions I've had. Now I was fully confident Islam would win the day um, between Christianity and Islam, or Christianity or, or atheism and Islam, or you know Buddhism or Hinduism or any other ism that there's that's out there. I thought Islam would win, but these these words from John the Baptist changed my mind just ever so slightly that maybe I just need to be objective about this, not rely on tradition, which is an easy thing to do. Uh, Try to put aside confirmation bias, which is just simply the very human thing all of us do, which is take a look at evidence. Um, You and I can look at the same exact evidence and because I have a predisposition to a certain position, I want that evidence to favor me. And so I'll interpret it in a way that favors me or allows me to hold on to my beliefs, whereas you might look at the same exact evidence and want it to hold on to your beliefs. Um, how do we put that aside? And John the Baptist's words in the Bible gave me the um, not only the permission but the command to challenge tradition. Now, people, this is a this is a surprising thing because people think of religion and the Bible as this book that says don't question, rely on the traditions, stick to what you were born into, and it'll be fine. But John the Baptist is saying, as long as your heart is after the truth you should challenge the assumptions, because I think, as the Bible also says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So over the course of some years, it took me nine years of investigation uh, into the philosophy, the history, the theology of various religions and non-religions, I began to see that the Bible actually, not only does it tell me what the truth of the world and my own condition actually is, it's historically accurate, uh, it provides scientific, uh, it, it, it actually corroborate, is corroborated by science. Um, but the linchpin for me was not only did it do all those things, but it satisfied the longing of my heart. As a Muslim, I thought to myself, you know, I hear this phrase all the time, Allahu Akbar, and you hear it. And normally in the media, you hear it and something terrible happens. Um, but it's just, the phrase, Allahu Akbar, it literally means God is greater. And so for me, as a Muslim, And most Muslims around the world, they want to know does religion actually give me a sense of God's true greatness? And so I suddenly realized something that if God exists, he would be the greatest possible being by definition. And the greatest possible being would express the greatest possible ethic, which is love. And he would express the greatest possible ethic in the greatest possible way that logically follows, I think. And what is the greatest way to express love? It's self sacrifice. And that's exactly. What you find in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You find that God who loves us so much that he won't let our sin separate us from him if he can do anything about it. And he did something about it. He didn't just say, follow a bunch of rules and try to do it yourself. He says, you can't, but I can, and I'll help you. And that's what he saw. He sends his son to die in our place. And so if God is the greatest being who expresses the greatest ethic, which is love, in the greatest possible way, which is self-sacrifice. You find all of that in the christian message so nine years it took me but it didn't take me nine years because the answers were hard to find it took me nine years because the answers were hard to embrace because it required a change in my life and it required a change in my identity in many ways i got to keep the good parts uh, and wrestle through that stuff but there were some religious affiliations and some things that i had to let go of um, in order to follow him and i didn't want to so i wrestled for nine years because of my desire not because of my intellect Um, uh, the answers were there to be had, but they were very difficult to embrace. Um, So if I look at her, Tati's um, statement, I can appreciate why she's saying, I used to ask the same question. You're probably gonna be a Christian because you were raised a Christian. You're probably gonna be an atheist because you were raised in an atheist uh, home or atheist culture or whatever it is. You're gonna be a Hindu for that reason. Um, I got asked a similar question, if you just let me 30 more seconds and then I'll I'll be quiet. Um, I got asked a question at a university. uh, in, 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 uh, Calgary, a Hindu man walked up to the microphone and said, if God wants me to be a Christian so badly, why did he put me in a Hindu home? Hmm. Um, and, uh, so I answered the question and I said, you know, that's interesting because I could ask the same question. If God wanted me to be a Christian, why did he put me in a Muslim home? And here I am, I'm a Christian. Um, I think the question you should be asking yourself isn't, um, should I stay or will I naturally stay in the worldview I was born into. No, maybe the question you should ask yourself is, if you're a Hindu man and you're going to school in a Western country where we have religious freedom and you can choose to believe or to not believe without government consequences, and you come to an event where you're listening to a former Muslim who, who hails, his family hails from the Middle East, who's telling you he's a Christian because the evidence is there. Maybe the question isn't, why did God put me in a Hindu family? Maybe the question is, why did God bring, or maybe there's something to this whole thing that God is bringing people who allow me to ask my deepest questions. So maybe I can find answers, even if they go against my tradition. I think that if we say that you're born into something and that's most likely where you're going to stay, the answer is, so what? Truth is not dependent upon the place I was born. It doesn't even depend on my access to it. Truth is truth if no one believes it, and falsehood is falsehood even if everyone believes it. But truth is available there. And I think that this podcast is a great example of that. Here we have people of different views coming to talk and share. And so we can change our worldview if we're willing to listen to another person's point of view and maybe see where the truth lies in that that perspective. So I think that's what I would respond to that. And I think that my my story, hopefully, is helpful in that regard.
1: That's super powerful. I want to let the girls respond to that. But I have a real quick follow-up question, and then I'll open it up for their questions and follow-up question. Sure. Um, I listened to uh, Nibiel Qureshi's book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you guys were friends personally um, before he passed away. But my question is, uh, I remember in that book, because I listened to it on audio, him talking about losing everything and being afraid of coming out as a Christian. Um, was that your experience as well? Because for him, if I remember correctly, it was like, I'm giving up everything to follow Jesus. Was it like that for you?
3: Yes. So uh, answer to your first question is yes, Nabil and I were actually really close um and uh walked with him through a lot of some of that pain because we had shared a lot of that same community pain um and for me it was it was the fear of it it was the fear of losing everything Uh, my identity was the chief thing i liked being a muslim i liked being the kind of person that studied islam and other muslims would ask questions of and all these kind of things um and of course there's always coming from an eastern background religion isn't just a thing you believe. It's a part of who you are and who your community sees you as. So it was tough. And that's why it took, took me so long to actually come to faith because of the at first subconscious fear of losing things, but then it became a real conscious fear of what this might mean. Um, but uh, God is good and I have I was blessed with a wonderful family, and I still have a wonderful family. Um and things have things haven't always been easy um because they're not. I mean. These things are these things matter and they should matter to people. Um, but uh God has been great uh in in our lives and uh we remain close. Um but it but ha- it was tough. But um it I'll tell you this, it was worth it. Absolutely worth it.
1: All right, girls, go Adam.
2: <laughs> okay, so first of all, I have to say that I can kind of identify with uh Tari's quote because I have the same background. I grew up in a non-Christian home and um, we only went to church on Christmas and we kind of saw it like as a chore that needed to be done Mm. on that day. Um, And then, so I had a lot of questions at the beginning of of this year. And um, I had a lot of conversations with Janelle um, about faith and my questions and honestly, the the more questions that she answered um me the less strong my position that God doesn't exist. God you never told me that. <laughs> so well, I just realized that. Because I feel like I can kind of see the confirmation bias in me. I don't want my whole life to change and I don't want to change my identity and everything because I my position that God doesn't exist is not as strong as at the beginning anymore. Mm. Mm. Um but I don't want to like dedicate my whole life to something. So
3: mm. Yeah. Yeah. Leone, first of all, can I can I jump in? Is it okay?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you.
3: Um first of all, uh, I just want to say that 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 candor um and that um uh forthcomingness just now was was worth me getting up in the morning to be a part of this uh just hearing that i'm i'm extraordinarily blessed by it and uh that i got to hear it is nothing short of uh, the thing that'll make my week let alone my day uh just because whether or not you 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 know come to faith in christ or not the point is is that that level of honesty and sincerity is something the world sorely needs so please please keep expressing it we need it You've seen what's going on in the world right now. And insincerity is probably the most common trait in social dialogue, and you just expressed the exact opposite, total sincerity. So thank you so much for that. Um, uh, You know, I would encourage you to continue to look at stories of people in the Bible who are doubters and who are rewarded for their doubt and for their questions. Um, John the Baptist, who I just quoted, so John the Baptist has this whole, you know, the Bible describes him as the one who was going to call out that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. And he was destined from birth, even from inside the womb, to be that person. And he grows up and he's fearless and he is challenging the authorities and he's doing all these things and he gets in trouble for it. He goes to jail over it. He's, he's challenging the authorities that they're not, they're not doing right. They're doing immoral things. And so this guy is so hopeful that Jesus is the Messiah who will deliver Israel from their oppressors. And he goes to jail and he's going to be beheaded. And in the moment, this strong man of faith, who is Jesus's cousin, he sends his disciples to see Jesus while he's in jail. And he asks a question, are you really the one? Or should we wait for another? Because John is in despair at this point. And Jesus doesn't get angry at him. He doesn't say, you go tell that faithless cousin of mine, that betrayer, how dare he question me? He doesn't say that. What he says to him is, go back and tell John what you have seen, the evidence that the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Go and tell him this, strengthen him. In other words, when he has doubt, Jesus gives him evidence. Thomas ministered with Jesus for three years. He saw what he could do, and he saw how he changed the society. And yet when Jesus dies, Thomas is destroyed by this. He's sitting in a locked room with his friends, afraid of what's outside. That sounds very much like what happened with COVID almost. Like we're sitting in locked rooms, isolated because we're afraid of what's going on outside. Jesus walks through the locked door, and there's a whole thing behind that. And he says to Thomas, who's been doubting this whole time, he says, See the scars in my hands? You see the wound in my side? I'm giving you the evidence. I'm giving you the evidence. Now stop doubting and believe. And Thomas is so overcome with the with the way Jesus treats him that he gives his life to Jesus, commits, dedicates his whole life, and then goes and serves Jesus in India and is martyred there. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm not saying any of us have to do that. What I am saying is that dedication to something um, always happens. We always dedicate ourselves to something. You know, there's a... Um, this will show you my age, too, because you probably don't know who I'm talking about. But there's a rock group um, that was very popular in uh, around the world, actually, in the 80s called Rush. It's a band called Rush. And the, um, the, the songwriter was an atheist. Uh, Neil Pert was his name. And he wrote, they wrote a song called Free Will. And the song, the lyrics go like this. You may choose a ready guide in some celestial voice. But if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. So what he's saying essentially is, is that we always dedicate our life to something. If you look at your pocketbook and you find out where you spend your money, if you look at the time you spend online, if you look at the time you do something to, um, you always dedicate your life to something, always. So what I wanna s- suggest just in a gentle challenge is, only really, it's six o'clock in the morning where you're at. You don't have to be awake right now, or at least doing this. Yet you dedicated your time to it. You dedicated your life to something. And I think it's a search for truth. That's what I think. I think you actually want to dedicate your life to something. There are consequences to pay. There are there are things, and I don't mean like bad, like the government's going to come after you. What I mean is, is that you've got personal stuff, and you candidly admitted it to us so honestly that you don't want to change certain things. And I didn't either. I'm with you. I know exactly what it feels like. Um, so, but I think that as you continue. Um, I hope it's encouraging to you that the Bible actually encourages doubts that lead to truth um, and dedication to one, uh, of one's life to something happens naturally. It just happens with what we do with our lives. Um, it doesn't matter what you dedicate your life to. And right now you're dedicating your life to a, to a search. And I think that that's a good thing um, uh, and a wonderful thing. So hopefully that's helpful or encouraging in some way, because it is rewarding. I'll tell you this, it's worth it. I dedicated my life to Christ and a lot of things had to change and God is still working on me. There's plenty of things I have to work, I need to go through. Um, And I don't always like it, it's uncomfortable, but I'm telling you in the times when it was hardest is the times when it was the most worth it, the most worth it. Thank
2: you for sharing that.
3: My pleasure.
1: Zoe, what are your thoughts? I think it's
0: really interesting, but I was like wondering, how can I be in a religion without knowing the other ones? Like, if I'm a Christian, how can I know that this is real if I don't know other religion, because like, how can I choose with all of them if I don't know them? I don't know if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Oh, it makes total sense. Absolutely, 100%. I totally get it. Um, uh, Well, I guess I'm going to go back to that quote from that that rock band. It's that uh, if you choose not to decide, that's still a choice. Um, And so um, uh, what I would say is there's a menu out there of worldviews. There's secular humanism, there's different kinds of naturalistic thinking, there's different atheisms that are out there. Um, You might find yourself, I mean, there's, there are atheists who don't, who aren't just naturalists. A naturalist is someone who believes that the natural is all there is. There are some atheists who believe there's no God, but there is something that is non-natural that exists in the world, um, uh, and so those are different kinds of atheists. Just because you don't know all the branches of atheism doesn't mean you don't have to become an atheist. Um, uh, So um, religion is much the same way. And so I appreciate what you're saying because I did have the opportunity to study lots of different worldviews and that kind of thing. And not everybody has the opportunity to do that or even the drive to do it. Uh, And there's so much. I think there are some resources I could suggest that are really helpful to sort of, from secular people, say this is, these are the different, there's a great book by a guy named Stephen Prothero called God is Not One. Um, He's not pushing a Christian agenda or anything agenda. He basically says, this is a book that gives you the, the, a, a fair summary of all the major religions and their major views on things. And then he gives comment and critique, including of Christianity. So um, I think that uh, those are good places to start if you're really looking to see what do other religions teach. But I also hear in this question, and if other people will have the same question you have, is I don't have time to be doing all that all the time. Um, how can I dedicate my, my life to one religion? And doesn't that mean that, couldn't they all be equally valid? I mean, why does Christianity have a lock on the truth? Um, it's, a, it's, it's a great question. Here's what I would say about that. <clears throat> a couple of things is that every worldview has to answer four main questions. They answer a lot of questions. There's thousands of questions, but they have to answer four main questions. Um, and if they don't answer all of them in a coherent, cohesive way, in a way that not only has evidence, but also makes sense, then that worldview is not for you. Um uh, so I would say that those questions are how did we get here? You know, did we get here by accident? Did we get here by physical force or necessity? Or was there design? Um, why are we here? Um, is there a meaning in life? Is there a purpose? Um why is the world the way it is? Why is there good? but why is there evil? Can we even justify the existence of evil in the world? Um, if we're all just you know sophisticated animals that bump into each other, you know baboons don't don't really steal from each other. They just take each other's stuff. There's no moral part to that. When a shark eats a fish, it doesn't murder that fish. But we, when we take the life of a person, we mur- there's a moral element. Why is that? If we're just evolutionarily created animals, and we're just smart. do morality just emerge from our intellect, or is there a moral fabric of the universe? So, first, how do we get here? Two, why are we here? Three, why is here this world the way it is? And four, how do we get out of here? You know, is there a way, is there a salvation? Is there an ultimate end to this that doesn't just result in the you know the heat death of the universe? You know, because that's what naturalism says is that the universe will eventually expend all of its energy. And it will grind down to a heat death, and it'll just be a flat, featureless disk. Is there something more than that? So I think Christianity answers all those questions with evidence and cohesiveness. So when I look at the origin of the universe, and I'll be as brief as I can, when I look at the origin of the universe, for the longest time, scientists believed in what was called a steady state theory. In other words, the universe just always existed. But then Einstein and Edwin Hubble and all these guys came and they started making trouble um, with their um, with their formulas and saying, you know what, from relativity to red shift and all this stuff, No, oh, the universe is expanding. And if it expands, then maybe, and based on the math, it came from a finite point in the past. In other words, it began to exist. So it didn't always just exist. And so the standard model now of the universe is that the universe began to exist, all matter, energy, space, and time began to exist in the finite past. Well, the Bible has been saying that for 3,500 years. And so science is corroborating when the Bible says the very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So empirically, how do we get here? I think science is pointing us to it began and there's a beginner and there's more to it than this, but that beginner made choices. Um, And I see that the Bible doesn't say that you and I are designed or constructed it does hint at that but what it says in psalm 139 is that you and i were knit together in our mother's womb when you look at dna and the way it looks it looks like someone knit that together and it's got purpose and it's got information and it's specific in the way it actually is instructions for creating a human being but that intimacy is there that's the why are we here for intimacy um uh in relationship that's what the bible teaches us the christian view of god is that he is a trinity one god in three persons so there's only one god but he has three distinct consciousnesses the father and the son and the holy spirit they all share the same nature there's only one god but we have one mind god has three consciousnesses and those consciousnesses interact with each other so the father loves the son and the son loves the spirit and the spirit loves the father and the son from eternity he always existed as a being in love in in relationship and so he creates us so that we can have relationship with him because it's a natural work of who he is so one origins things began to exist and i think it began to exist because someone began it two that someone is a being who's in relationship and so he creates us for the why which is relationship with the divine three why is there evil in the world why is there good I think the Bible describes human beings' desire not to be with God. Our purpose is to be with God. But we violated that purpose by saying, I don't want to be with God. I want to be God. I want to be the one who determines my life. And that's what Adam and Eve did. That's what we all do every day of our lives. And so what goes on in the world is a result of our breaking away from him. But four, is there a way out? And I think the Christian worldview provides with us with empirical evidence historical evidence and I've done debates online you can look them up on the resurrection of Jesus did he die as a matter of history and did he rise from the dead as a matter of history and the answer is yes I think the answer strong evidence is yes but why did he die because the answers to the first three questions we began to exist because God wants us in relationship but we fell away from it the fourth question is how do we get out of here is answered because Jesus says you have fallen away and you owe a debt to the one who is the very seat of morality for him all morality comes all goodness comes from him and we rebelled against it so we owe a debt to him but you can't pay it I can't pay it without being separated from him and so Jesus pays it for us because he has no debts of his own he is the incarnation of God and therefore he's perfect and so he dies to pay a debt I could never pay And if he dies to pay that debt, then I have freedom because he says, I do this for you. Much like someone co-signs a loan and says, if you can't pay that loan, I'll pay it. He pays it for me. And now I can have relationship with God. So my original purpose, which was relationship with God has been restored. So all four questions get answered. I think the other worldviews that are out there, the other religions, they try to answer these questions, I think, but they fall short. Um, uh, but if Jesus rose from the dead and here's where it comes down to, you don't have to study every religion that's out there. I encourage you to, if you have the time and the inclination, please feel free to. But here's the thing. If Jesus died as a matter of history, and I think that's true, and then he rose again from the dead as a matter of history, that gives him credibility because people who rise from the dead and who predicted they were going to rise from the dead and then actually do. You should believe that person because they have power over life and death. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When he says that, he's either right or he's wrong. Now, the guy who's wrong would have died and stayed dead, but the guy who's right would have died and rose again from the dead. So I think we can believe him because he died and rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. So you don't have to know everything if you just know that one thing that I think is the key that unlocks the door and says Christianity is true. And everything else that disagrees with it on this point has to be false. Now they have elements of truth in them. Islam recognizes that human beings are sinful. Hinduism recognizes that human beings can't fix them, or, or sorry, in a sinful state or in a, in, a, in, a, in a wrong state, but they all tell you, you have to fix you. Here's the rules, go fix yourself. And all of us on this call know that's extremely hard to do. We're always falling short of that. Uniquely, Christianity says, you can't fix yourself, but God can. And I think not only is that empirically true, but I think it speaks to our hearts as well. I hope that's helpful, Zoe. Yeah, thank you for
1: it. Answering
3: my question.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure. Um, so Tati, uh, again, who couldn't be here, has said there's probably nothing that could convince her that Christianity was true. She's very uh, set in her atheism. Her dad is an orthopedic surgeon. She's very much uh, focused on uh, science and what she can see. She even told me that the fact that when she dies, there's nothing is um, it feels good to know that this is her one life and it's her one shot to make it matter, uh, so to speak. Um, Would you speak to atheism with those four things that you just uh, mentioned? Um, Why did you reject that uh, when you were searching things out?
3: Sure, Um, a great question. And I think it uh, flows well from what uh, Tati's question actually is and her objection actually is. Uh, When I look at the origin of the universe, for example, Um, I think it is a, uh, a natural default supposition for us. If I were to pick up this phone and I were to say, boy, how was that made? I don't think anybody on this call would think that phone was made because of a tornado in a factory and just put it together. It's just random. And why wouldn't you think that? You would think, you would assume that there's design and purpose behind the phone, because not only is it complex, but it has a specific function. It's complex for a reason. It does something with its complexity. The universe is full of this. Uh, To quote a non-Christian, Paul Davies, an eminent physicist, he said, how could it be that our finest minds are only unlocking with great difficulty the workings of a mindless universe? You see what he's saying here is he's saying our finest minds, the best and brightest collectively of the whole Earth are only with great difficulty unlocking the secrets of the universe. Well, if our finest minds can't understand the universe without difficulty, how could it be a product of mindless chance? Is chance somehow greater than us? Is our intellect baffled by the natural? Or is there a finer mind, a greater mind that we're chasing after because the evidence of design is in the world? So I think origins, are better explained, the atheism has to result to, at some point, some modification of the universe came about without purpose and without design, yet it looks like it's designed. And so the over, I would say the default, you would have to overcome the presumption of design, in my view, given how complex and how specifically complex the universe and the human body actually is. So I would, I would default to a designer and then say, maybe there's not one, okay, well, you gotta prove that because it looks like it's designed. I mean, I would never say about the phone, you got to prove that this was designed. Well, I can do that pretty easily. You'd have to really, in, in our conversations, prove that it wasn't, given its given the default of how it looks. I think atheism fails on the origin part. I think atheism fails on the meaning part. And I can quote atheist after atheist who will tell you, Julianne Baggini is a good example of this, an atheist philosopher who um, would um, readily admit, uh, he has an essay says that life can be bleak, atheism is about owning up to that, or being honest with that. And he basically says, there are no there's no redemption, there's no second chances, this life is all there is. And it, it, and it gives pity to no one. Um, uh, Stephen Jay Gould says we have to create meaning ourselves because there are no higher answers. Um, so there's no real meaning there as well unless we give it meaning ourselves richard dawkins one of the world's most famous atheists says that the universe we see has exactly the properties we should have if we expect that there is no meaning no purpose and no design well i wonder if we think that i wonder if tati really thinks that her life has no purpose and no design and no meaning in fact i I would venture to say and i've never met her but i'm guessing that she in her comment that it's exciting it's exhilarating it's thrilling or somehow satisfying to think that this is the one life she has. She's got to make it count. Well, that goes to the fourth question of, is there a way out of here? I've often heard this, that atheism values life more than theism because this life is not just a test for a greater eternity. I would challenge that um, and say, if that's the case, if this life is all there is, and the laws of physics as we know them are still going to continue to operate throughout the life of the universe, then because of the way entropy works and the way energy dissipates, everything, all the universe will grind down to a heat death and it will just stop moving. It'll just stop. We'll all, Everything will die. Everything will die. And it will stay that way for eternity and it won't have anything to it. If that's the case, then how does this life count? It counts for the life that I live and maybe for the people that I help, but they're all going to die and they're all going to stop moving and the people they help everything that we've done through the chain of human history will come to nothing so that means that if you take a mother teresa who gave her life in service of the people of, of the children of india and you take pol pot or idi amin or mao zedong or adolf hitler and they gave their lives in service of themselves and hurt other people if there's nothing beyond this world then he those guys, those those tyrants got the same exact reward that Mother Teresa got, oblivion. And there's no justice and there's no meaning beyond this. But if what they do, if what we do in this life echoes into eternity, then what you do in this life actually matters. It really matters because it has an eternal effect and God respects that eternal effect. But if this life is all there is, When you're done and when the universe is done, it's all done. There is no eternal effect. It's just over. So this life doesn't really count. But if there's something beyond this life, then everything you do matters. Can you imagine what greater thing there could be than to have your choices respected by the creator of everything? In fact, let me go back to the cross on this. The reason there is a cross, and I'm quoting from John Stott. John Stott pointed out that the cross is at once a statement about our human sin, but it also pays us a compliment. Because if our actions did not matter to the creator of everything, if our actions did not echo into eternity, there would be no need for a cross. Because the cross basically says, your sin matters, but so does your good deeds. Your you, The good things you do matter. They please God. So I would say that atheism doesn't give me any sense of that it doesn't give me a sense of real justice, maybe temporary justice, maybe justice in this life. And then that's it. But that justice is actually a fiction. Um, uh, to quote from uh, E.O. Wilson, and uh, Michael Ruse, morality is just an illusion foisted upon us by our genes to get us to become social cooperators. In other words, evolution foisted this illusion of morality on us. But that, that doesn't that fly in the face of all the things we hold dear? if our life is going to matter, I think it has to matter for the sake of eternity. And I think God gives us that. And I think uniquely the Christian concept of God gives us a life that actually matters for eternity. The cross is the ultimate demonstration that what we do matters.
1: Well, I'd love to hear how uh, the, <laughs> the young women with the atheistic worldviews uh, feel about what you just said. <laughs>
2: Okay, so to me, I feel like I can kind of relate to um, Tati that when you don't believe in the fact that there's like eternity and something after your death, that you make your one life matter. And um, for me, it's enough to, to know that what I do in my life matters for future generations. Um, for example, for my kids later, or, like, that my actions affect them. Um, And that's totally enough for me. Um, I don't think that my life has to matter eternally. Um, Or, like, has to matter more or, like, move more people than just, like, the next one or two generations. So I'm fine with the thought that there's nothing after death. (laughs)
1: way. Yeah. do you agree with what uh, Leonie just said?
0: I agree with Leonie um, because I think that I do my actions and I won't be there to actually see the result in like 200 years so I don't know how to feel about that like I don't know
3: Well, it's, uh, so th- these are uh, excellent um observations i think that um where i would uh and it's all a matter of you know, personal i mean i can't tell you how to feel and if things are fine with for you they're fine for you that's 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 yours uh to have um all i would suggest is for me and for uh for others as well i think that um uh there's a couple of things when it comes to what is it you're doing like why why is it enough? Why is it enough at all that your actions, this life counts for what, for future generations? Let's just say one generation beyond you. Let's just say that. Okay, let's just stop, start with that. When you pass away, you won't know it. You'll just not exist. You won't be regretful. You won't be happy. There'll be no satisfaction whatsoever in what you do. So I guess my question back to you guys would be, if this life, you want to make this life count for what, for who? For Children that you're going to have, um, or and maybe their children. Let's just go with the first one. Just your children. Why? Who, who cares? Who cares about their welfare if you're dead? Who cares about their welfare past the age of fifty or sixty? Because you're not going to know it. Um, but you do care, and you should. By the way, I think you should. Um, but uh, but why? If you're not going to be around, why does your life have to matter beyond you? At all?
2: yeah so so for me um i want to have children later and i i would so i would how do you answer that <laughs> a professional um, at this. <laughs> i think i would like <laughs> um i would uh like the best for my children and i feel like what I do matter, will matter to, like, that one generation, my children, and I would like them to have, like, the best life and um, have, like, good memories of their mom and everything. So that would be my motivation to engage in, like, good behaviors and everything later on. Um, But everything beyond that, well, as always said, when I'm dead, I'm dead. And then I'm not really, I don't, I won't have, like, a connection to, like, five generations after me or something.
3: So. Yeah. if you knew if you knew that um, your actions would actually hurt, if you could tell that my actions if I do these things that I want to do, and I'm not saying you do this, but let's just say we there was something you wanted to do and you knew that it was going to cause a terrible environmental impact five generations from now that you'll never see, would it matter?
2: Yeah, that will matter because I feel like if I do something good and other people don't appreciate it, that's like one thing. I'm okay with that. But like, I okay, maybe that also has something to do with my personality. I'm like a people pleaser, so I always want to make everybody happy. And if I would cause more harm than good in the world, it would um, cause... How's it called? Do um, you talked about dissonance. this? Cognitive dissonance.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that you actually do care then, beyond when beyond your death. Um, it sounds to me like, uh, it, it, and let's say you you it, let's flip the script and say let's say it was something you knew, and it would terribly inconvenience you. It actually might cost you your life, but you knew that if you did this, it would have an effect five generations from now would you do it? And if, if the answer is yes, why? And I think, so you already you answered the question already, but this is just, feel free to, I don't want to interrupt you, but um, my point is both the good and the bad, I think do matter to us beyond our life. You want to know that things meant something beyond your life. Um, and if the universe is going to just, Stop existing, as we know it, if life is going to eventually, no matter what we do. And that's basically the the current science, is that no matter what we do, it's all going to end. Billions of years from now, yeah. And that gives us comfort because somehow billions of years makes it more meaningful for us to do stuff now. But at some point, it's not going to mean anything. The sun will explode and the earth will be consumed by it. Uh, And unless we escape, but those stars will all explode one day too. All of them will. So it's all gonna be nothing at some point. Now we can say, I'm okay with a temporary meaning and, and that's fine, but there's hints in what you guys are saying that suggest to me that based on your makeup, based on something deep and meaningful inside of you, that you actually think that you're, 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 you, you, there, there's comfort in knowing or there's actually value in, in doing stuff that matters for people for the future. And what I'm simply offering is Christianity says, not only does it matter for the future for people, but it matters for the person who created those very people. Um, uh, That's why the Bible says that, you know, when you enter into that rest and you don't need to strive to get there, you just rely on Christ, but then you act in response to what he's done for you. You get entered in and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And there'll be those who are in heaven, who will join with you in, in, in that community forever. So what you do will matter for the children, you have, but for longer. In other words, if what you do, you want it to matter for your children and maybe the next generation after that, and that's good enough. Okay. But why settle? When the possibility exists that you could, it could matter for them and for so much more. In other words, don't settle and be too easily pleased. There's so much more available for you.
1: Any thoughts on that, Zoe or Leone? Before we move on,
2: I don't have to make my life meaningful. I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah.
3: Every, but everything—the the, the very point that we're having this conversation suggests that you do want. If I if I gave you a uh, a meaningless answer, uh, I think you would feel like you got cheated today. Like, why did I get up to hear that? um uh so we're always looking for meaning of some kind um and whether it means that your life is meaningful or not that's that's part of the struggle and part of the journey for all of us um so can i ask you guys another question before we move on is it okay janelle of course um are there any causes you guys care about like environmental causes social causes are there things you guys like put really care about that you're okay to say
2: What, for example?
3: Like, um, you know, social issues, um, you know, uh, monetary, economic injustice or the environment or, um, you know, some political thing. You don't have to tell me what it is, but do you have, do you guys, are you guys passionate about anything like that? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you guys do anything about it? I mean, you guys, you know, talk, uh, let your voice be heard. You know, do you, you know, you don't have to tell me what it is. is there something that you, or you plan to do in the future that you hope that your life makes an impact on that?
2: Um, I feel like for for me, for example, it's like um, all the environmental stuff and like plastic and the global stuff and how it affects it. And I just, I try to um, not, I'm not really a person who speaks up in front of like a lot of people, but I try to do like my best sure. before I, before I uh, try to make like other people change their behavior. I always try to like focus on me first and then
3: yeah, be
2: kind of like a role model and just hope that other people follow. So yeah,
3: that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 uh, I don't want to cut you off. Zoe.
2: I also care
0: about um, some things And I try to act, but for me, and I, I mean, I, I act as what I can do.
3: Yeah, that's good. That's so, yeah, that's wonderful. And I'm glad you guys are, you know, too many people focus on everybody else and start saying, why aren't you doing this? But what what are you doing? And I'm glad that, you know, you guys want to be live authentically and and take care of yourselves as well before, you know, you know, just do things that, you know, you should be doing. Um, and I think that that gives me at least some signal, um, uh, that your, your life does have meaning and you want it to, um, because you're doing something about the things you care about. In other words, you care about things. If you really are okay with your life having no meaning, no ultimate meaning, you would just do everything that causes you pleasure. Everything that brings happiness to you would maximize that and, and not inconvenience yourself. You would use all the plastics you can because they're easy and cheap. Um, uh, but you don't, you do things that are inconvenient because I think you want your life to have meaning. I think I'm, I, I thank God that you guys act that way and that you guys do that. And so I would just suggest that there are signals of meaning in everything that we're doing and that you guys do. And, um, I think that there's fulfillment in, in, in that, um, ultimately, uh, in God, but, uh, I'm just really pleased to know that, um, it, it encourages me what you guys said. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, I have a couple final questions here, unless one of you wants to follow up with that.
2: For me also with like um, the plastic and everything, it's just for me, everything, what I like, everything I do, like when I pay attention to not using that much plastic, for example, I do it for like the one future generation, like for my kids and not for, Five, the next five yeah you know what did you think
1: though about what he just said earlier about like um Hitler and mother Teresa getting the same justice or you know with death it's if it's the end that there's i'm just wondering uh how you respond to that as um if you don't believe in god um is that okay if I ask that question Abdu I, do, I don't know <laughs> I don't normally sure. just yeah, jumped yeah. in with a question, but I'm wondering Please. if that was more bothersome in some ways. Because I know it bothers my people don't want to believe in hell until we know somebody who deserves it, right? Like, uh, or we think that there is. So I'm just wondering um, how that feels for you guys.
2: Um. So. So for me, I don't. I don't think that there needs to be like justice after people died um so i don't think that people who did horrible things i mean it would be nice if they would get punished in some kind of way because they did so many horrible things to the world but then since i don't believe in heaven and um hell i don't i don't think that something would happen afterwards it's just they did horrible things, and people hate them for that. Uh, hate them for that, and that's like enough for me. That that people just feel like hatred towards them and try to not engage in the same behaviors again. Does that make any sense? I don't know. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> H- how about you, Zoe? Um, I feel like so for taking the example of Mother Teresa and Hitler, the memories that we have about her is a good thing. And we re- all remember that Hitler was bad and that his actions weren't good. And I think for me, that's a kind of justice,
1: how we remember you and what we think about you. Do would you be willing to respond to some of that? Because I'm sure you've talked about this topic before. Uh... How do you reconcile that? Like, I, I don't know. For me, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah, I can't imagine Mother Teresa sacrificed her entire life for other people, and the idea mm-hmm. that there's no eternal um, significance is disturbing to me. But I am a Christian, so I have a bias there.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, and so let's let's take less uh, drastic examples of some uh, uh, but those were good examples to actually sort of illustrate a point that um if there is nothing beyond this life then their life ultimately doesn't matter um uh eventually it just doesn't either one of their lives so doesn't matter um but we take a look at um less extreme examples everybody everyone, every every day people okay uh someone who is an inherently selfish person not as selfish as wanting to lead a whole country into um some kind of revolution, whether it's Mao or others or whoever, um, uh, but someone who just wants to succeed and they don't care if they lie a little to get to success, uh, someone who wants to make a lot of money. Um, and they lie and they cheat a little bit, but no one really knows it. And no one's they're hurt by it, but they're not really hurt by it. Um, let me take somebody who does some pretty good things you know, they do their part for various things, but, you know, they lie occasionally and all that stuff. Um, that's, that's the most, most most people um, in the middle there. Um, we do have a sense of morality. Like if a kid cheats on the test and no one ever catches him and he passes that test and maybe the curve is a certain way. And so the kid doesn't make it because of that or Uh, maybe no one's hurt by it, is it still wrong? My point is, is that um, if there is nothing beyond this life, then human beings determine what morality actually is because morality doesn't actually exist. All it is, is the current preference of our society. So if we take human beings as the ones who decide what morality actually is, is it what Teresa did or is it what Hitler did? If human beings are the ones who decide that, there's a couple of problems and it matters in this life. If there is no transcendent authority, in fact, in, in Nuremberg, we saw this, when the, when the Nazis were being tried at Nuremberg, one of their defenses was, we were simply obeying the laws of our country. That's what the, their defense was. At the Nuremberg trials, when people were being tried for war crimes and for the, for the genocides and the Holocaust, they were they were saying look we were just following orders we were just obeying the laws of our country now if human beings are the ultimate determiners of what's right and what's wrong what gives one set of human beings the authority to tell another set of human beings you're wrong other than i don't like what you're doing and so i have more guns and more power and i can dominate you in other words then power becomes what determines morality so the people who have the power determine morality um, and that doesn't strike us as right, because people who have no power, when Africans were enslaved in the North Atlantic slave trade, when the United States engaged in slavery for 400 years, uh, the Europeans did it and the Americans did it um, before the founding of the country and in the middle of the, the country uh, happening, Africans had no power, yet they still had morality. And still, it was still wrong to enslave them, even when the strongest countries in the world thought it was OK. So the justice we're talking about is fickle. What if the whole world thought that Hitler or Pol Pot or Mao Zedong were fine? Would it still be wrong? I think it would still be wrong, even if everyone thought it was, it was fine, because there's authority. There's a, there's a moral authority higher than them. If we determine morality, we're in very serious trouble. All you need to do is turn on the news for any length of time, and you'll find out that human beings are terrible at being the ones who decide what's moral and what's right and what's wrong. But if there's authority above us that we have an obligation to, then our lives actually matter. Then justice is a real thing. My point in all this is that I think without God, objective moral values and duties things like justice and compassion and kindness and even cruelty these things don't really exist they're just fictions of evolution Um, but with god those things actually exist and they don't change it's always wrong to treat people as property always it always has been and always will be even if we don't think so it's always wrong to treat women as second-class citizens it's always been wrong. And it always will be, no matter how many people think it's okay. So this justice is a matter of opinion, unless there's a God. And why? Because if He is the creator of all things, then He is the objective source of all things. And therefore, He's the objective source of morality. And so what we do, and what we don't do, and how we believe, actually has a grounding in god otherwise it's just a fiction and it'll change like that the minute the next charismatic person comes up and grabs a microphone and decides to change the laws unless we all sort of realize we're that even that person with all their power and all their charisma and all their money they're subject to a higher law in fact all of us are subject to a higher law so yeah we might think that in this life if we grow to be upset with someone or society remembers them in a negative way and says, don't do that, That's, that serves justice or that serves morality. But the reality is, is that we change our minds on this all the time. Um, and we would say, don't do that, why? Because it hurt people. Well, why is hurting people wrong? Unless, I mean, if it helps us and it makes my life better and this life is all that matters, then I'm going to do what matters for me. And what matters for me is this thing. It doesn't matter. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I just do what I want to do. If it helps me, great. If it doesn't, I'm not going to do it. Well, that's not really morality. That's convenience. Um, but we all believe in a sense of morality. And I think that morality we're talking about only makes sense if God, if God exists.
1: Zoe, so, what do you think about that?
0: I, I don't know. It's interesting. I like thinking about it, like processing the information,
2: um uh, but yeah i I don't know, okay, so for me, when we look at Mother Teresa and Hitler, I feel like when when there is eternal life and when you try to act like engage in good behaviors to yeah receive that eternal life where's the intrinsic motivation like for example maybe Mother Teresa only she she did good for the world because she wanted to because she wanted to um, help other people and maybe not because she wanted to have eternal life like why can people just like choose good behaviors because they want to help others because that's their intrinsic motivation not because they Seek like kind like a kind of reward for that later on after their death. Like that's my opinion on that. I feel like when when you say that people, or like when we say that people um, try to behave as good as possible to get to like receive eternal life later, they just. It sounds to me, it sounds like they just do that because they get rewarded for that later and not because they're intrinsically motivated because they wanted to do that. Does that make sense?
3: You know, I can really appreciate that actually. Um, You know, what's interesting is that I look at my own background um, as a Muslim, for example, um, uh, the way of salvation, the way to get to heaven in Islam is if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, Um, the scale tips and you get to go to heaven. Um, In Hinduism, you look at uh, how do you attain the enlightenment, the oneness with the universe, so, or the oneness with and re, re, realize your internal divinity? Um, uh, you have your karma have to be worked out. You have to work it out over successive lives of death and rebirth. So, with every life, you're working off the karma of a previous life until you attain enlightenment. Uh, so, in other words, you have to achieve something. Uh, in Buddhism, you the ultimate goal is to become nothing, is to become extinguished. But you do that through you know, the, the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, and you have to do it. Um, uh, so that, those, are, those are religious um, motivations for attaining something greater than yourself, but you have to do it and you do it through good actions. And so um, in some senses, you do them because they're good, but you're also doing them because they're good for you. Uh, so there's almost like a selfish motivation there. Um, Christianity doesn't say that actually it says very very different and this is i think a common misconception people have about the, the the christian religion is that um it's impossible the christian message is that it's impossible for any human being to actually um earn eternal life you can't earn it it's just literally impossible um uh because there is we we, we with all of our good We still come woefully short, we still lie, we still do bad things, we rebel against God, even little things or big things in our lives, we're all imperfect, and that therefore falls short of a perfect standard. Um, And so it's impossible to please him. But the freedom that comes from that actually in the Christian message is that you don't have to, is that Jesus is righteous and he imputes it. He gives that righteousness to you by paying the debt for you so I don't do good things to attain eternal life. I do good things because I have eternal life. In other words, it's a response. And so I don't, never met Teresa before she passed. I don't know what her motivations were. And we'd have to guess in some respect. But it seemed to me based on her words and based on her actions, that she never really did those things to get something. She did those things because she already had something. And she wanted other people to have it as well. So she's so for me as a Christian, my motivation to, and, and Paul talks about this actually in the in the Bible. He says that the law of good and evil is actually written on our hearts, whether you're a believer or not, not a believer. There's something that we know recognizes the good and the bad. We recognize this. Um, in other words, he calls people who aren't Christians a law unto themselves, not that they determine what's right and wrong, but they have a sense of the right and wrong inside them. Uh, but as a Christian, um, when I strive to help other people, it's because I recognize something. I don't do it just for the welfare of the future generations because hopefully when I'm older, the younger people will take care of me and technology will be good. And you know, uh, if I'm old and infirm and I can't move around, well, someone will push me on a wheelchair or something. That's selfish. That's a selfish sort of motive. Um, no, what the Christian say, the Christian believes is what the Bible says in the beginning is that every human being, male and female, were created in the image of God. In other words, you have value and I don't give it to you. I don't give you value. You have it. Now, if you, you and I were just the product of a random process that did not have you in mind, you're a cosmic accident and I'm a cosmic accident. If you rewound the tape of evolution and then played it back again, we probably wouldn't even exist, you and I. Um, We're incidental in that sense. Then what value do you and I really have other than I happen to believe that my kids have value because evolution made me think that because I'm supposed to propagate DNA into the next generation. That's not real value. I mean, that's nothing that I value my children then in an illusory way. No more than sharks value their offspring or spiders eat their young. Um, There's just nothing to it. But if you're made in God's image as a Christian, I see you, I'm supposed to see you as someone who has an intrinsic value that I didn't give you and you're not an accident. And therefore I have no right to treat you in any way, shape or form that lessens that image on you. You have an intrinsic value um, that I didn't give you. Because if I can give it to you, if society gives you that value, then then society can take it away. Because the power to give is the power to take back. And if society gives you that value, then when society takes it away and enslaves certain people or treats certain people like second-class citizens, they have the right to. They gave them the value, they can take it away. But if God, The creator of all the universe the one who in whom existence finds its its anchor is the one who gave you value then no one can take it from you now they can try and they do things they violate our rights all the time but they're not gone they're still there and so this is a long way to 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 address the issue is that i don't do things for other people so that i can get heaven now i can store up treasures in heaven and those things are great I don't do things so I can get heaven. I'm free of that. I don't do that anymore because it was already achieved for me. That's what the cross is. I don't have to achieve achieve heaven. I'm free. And so I don't ever have to think, am I doing this out of selfish motivations? Or am I doing this so I can get salvation? No, I already have it. And I didn't even earn it because God loves me so much. Now, everything I do, I can do for your sake, not for mine, but for yours. Now, will I get rewards sure but that heaven is there for me and so ultimately i don't do it for me that's why jesus says do unto others as you would have them do unto you now that's interesting because other religions have a similar view and even non-religions have a similar view on this the quote the quote unquote golden rule So that's the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in Islam, you have something similar. It says, um, if you do good things, it says, don't do bad things, and bad things won't happen to you. Hinduism says something similar if you do good things, good things will happen for you. Um, Even a secular humanist society has a version of this where we try to optimize results for the benefit of all humanity because it benefits us and all that. But you can notice something all of those views say, do things. So that good things happen to you, or don't do bad things, so bad things won't happen to you. That's either in your self-interest, or it's self-defensive. But Jesus doesn't say that. What he says is, "Do do unto others as you would have them do unto you." In other words, even if no one does anything good to you, still do good to them. Do as you as if they would. In other words, don't be self-protective and don't be self-seeking. Be self-sacrificial. And so I don't think Teresa had as a motivation getting into heaven. I think Teresa had as a motivation helping other people because they were made in God's image uh, as her intrinsic motivation. And so what I would say is the intrinsic motivation to help other people makes more sense if there's a God who gives us value. It makes less sense if we're all here by accident.
2: Well, I don't think, I think that intrinsic motivation is when you do something because you really want it, and that would make more sense for me when there's no God, because then it's just, like, about the life that you live right now, and, yeah, with without, like, um, affecting, or, like, receiving something good afterwards is just because you want to do something for your own like sake kind of so yeah but thanks for answering the question
1: (laughs) abdu man i we could stay here and ask you a ton more questions and i have a ton on this list but uh, maybe we'll just have to have you on here again sometime it's been a tremendous pleasure and honor to have you um I just want to wrap up this with a final question that I ask everybody. But before I get to that, um, how can people find out more about you and your ministry? I know that uh, you mentioned YouTube videos and I know you have some books. Would you mind sharing just real briefly?
3: Sure, I uh, have several books um, that are out there. Um, In fact, one of them goes to one of the things that Zoe asked about, which was how can I decide if Christianity is true when there's so many other religions in the world? I have a book called Grand Central Question which basically takes the central question of every worldview and affirms that question, but uh, offers Christianity's response to their answers. And so it's a comparative book. Um, uh, I have a book called Saving Truth, which talks about the post-truth culture we're currently in. And how do we get people to value truth again when preferences and feelings seem to matter way more than truth? How do we get ourselves back to caring about truth again? Um, And I have a forthcoming book coming out in September, and it's entitled More Than a White Man's Religion. And it basically responds to the objection that Christianity or uh, the gospel message is inherently racist and inherently sexist. Uh, How does the Bible actually value people of different races and ethnicities? And how does it actually value women as equal to men? Um, And so I go and hopefully demonstrate that in More Than a White Man's Religion. You can find out uh, more about our ministry at embracethetruth.org. Um, hopefully by the time this airs, the website will be fully up and running. Um, and on YouTube, um, uh, it's, uh, Abdu Murray official is where the YouTube videos are. Uh, and of course I'm on social media as well. Uh, Abdu Murray one, two is my Instagram and Abdu Murray are my other, my Twitter and my uh, Facebook.
1: Awesome. Well, when that book comes out, we'd love to have you back on to discuss it. And I would love we'll to have be. Someone else. Yeah. Put us on your list. Yeah. <laughs> um, final yeah, question please. we ask everybody. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Um, Real is an acronym for those things. Restoration, Mm -hmm. eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four gifts, and obviously there's many more, uh, that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which of those stand out to you the most in your life right now and why? And I'm going to rephrase it for you, actually. You mentioned a couple of times that Jesus was worth it. He was worth it. Um, of those things, restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love, which of those was worth it to you the most and why?
3: Oh, man. Great question, Janelle. That's probably one of the hardest ones that I've ever been asked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, uh, the authenticity of love in the Christian faith. So I'm going to take two of them. I'm going to cheat. Uh, Go I'm take two. You're not the first the, authentic- to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the authenticity of love in the Christian faith um, changed me and made it worth it because it sustains me when life is hard when what I'm doing seems meaningless when um, I've upset someone um, and I need that forgiveness or I've um, been hurt and I need to get the strength to forgive um, the authenticity of Christian love, is that you know when someone really loves you, not when they give you stuff, not when they pay you compliments, but when they're willing to do something that hurts them and helps you. That's when you know someone really loves you. The Christian message is all about God sacrificing his only son and Jesus being God the son, experiencing that anguish. What greater authenticity can there possibly be to know that God actually loves me than to know that he would do anything to secure a place for me in heaven. Um, And so as I look out in the world and I think that there's a cry out there for something, I think it's authenticity, but I think it's authentic love. Do we care about other people at our own expense? And the example to follow is God. And I think that that is authentic love is what got me to want to follow him and want to serve him and dedicate my life to him because what greater cause is there than authentic love?
1: Amen. Well, Zoe, Leonie, uh, Abdu Murray, man, thank you all for being here. I just really appreciate all of you until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the christian faith we hope to feature a different story each month and then invite christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes friend the bible says that jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever i believe with all my heart that jesus christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until
2: next time.